0: From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our weekly installment of Green Tagged Theme Park and 30, an insider's take on the theme park and theme entertainment industry. As always, for our haunt-specific programming, check back later in the week on the same feed. Enjoy the show. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tag Theme Park and 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Scott Swenson, recently nominated to the uh, IAPA education entertainment subcommittee congratulations something like that yes thank you thank you i've been working with iapa for
1: quite some time um as a subject matter expert for uh, both their certification process as well as some of their training classes and i have i was um nominated approved and have accepted a position on the entertainment subcommittee uh for the upcoming year and i'm very excited about it it's uh It's it's cool because it's a bunch of people that I know. It's a bunch of people I don't know, and um, it gives me an opportunity to um, continue to support an organization that I feel very strongly about and think that it does. I I feel that it does an awful lot for the industry as a whole. So it gives me a way to give back a little bit, and and while continuing to uh, make connections within my own industry. So thank you, Philip, and I'm very excited to be part of
0: that part of that team. Uh, Yes, and I'm sure they are excited to have you.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll Uh, see. Well, let's jump in. Oh,
0: God, now we have to listen to Scott. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, we already listened to him every week, so now we're just a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. we required listening. All right,
0: well, let's jump in here. Okay. Well, turning to Omicron here, our regular Omicron update. Uh, While Omicron is shattering case records, it appears to be less severe. The New York Times reports that researchers at the Houston Methodist healthcare system compared (laughs) 1,313 systematic patients infected with Omicron to patients who have been infected with Delta or Alpha variants. Fewer than 15% of Omicron patients were hospitalized compared with the 43% of the Delta patients and 55% of Alpha patients. So among those who were admitted, Omicron patients were also less likely to need ventilators and had shorter hospital stays. Of course, it's still impacting travel across the world. Here's a quick rundown of places that are being impacted with travel. Hong Kong suspended all flights, suspended flights from eight countries, I'm sorry, including the U.S. Hong Kong Disneyland has also announced their fourth closure for two weeks, January 7th through 20th. Rio de Janeiro canceled their Carnival Street Parade. The labor shutdowns, the classrooms in Chicago, the Grammy Awards were postponed. Sundance Film Festival also canceled in person. But of course, on the other hand, Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Wednesday scaled back restrictions on people traveling to England as ver- as the Omicron variant appears to be so widespread that measures tightened in November can no longer stem the flood. Starting Friday, vaccinated travelers, who no longer need to take the test before their journey, they can just, you know, they can just test once they get there. Now, that does not apply to unvaccinated travelers. It's only vaccinated travelers. And of course, to bring it back home here, meanwhile, the show must go on, of course, here in the U.S. In an opinion piece in the Las Vegas Review Journal, the head of the Consumer Technology Association that runs CES, argued that canceling CES would hurt thousands of smaller companies, entrepreneurs, and innovators who depend on the show to launch their products. Of course, last year in 2019, Las Vegas reaped an estimated 291 million from the show, so it's no small thing for the Las Vegas city either. Uh, he noted that the conference has embraced COVID-19 protections like wearing, like requiring attendees to be fully vaccinated and masks on the show floor, and that testing was readily available. They also cut the show a little bit short. But despite all of that, many large companies have chosen to attend remotely and didn't attend in person. Ugh, so Scott, I guess it's the Wild West again, isn't it? Exactly, You know,
1: it's it's exactly what happened when this all started and it kind of proves what we've said over and over again that every, everything is cyclical, everything comes back around. Um, we're We're in a position with the new variant where we don't know, again, there are no absolutes people still have to educate themselves um, companies have to educate themselves and make their own choices based on uh, their their research material and who they choose to listen to you know it's it's interesting because uh, there's there's these things that are canceling, these things that aren't canceling, these things that are changing, these things that aren't changing. I think the, the Consumer Electronics Show is a perfect example in the fact that there are the show itself is going on, but many of the large companies made their own decisions not to attend in person. So I, I think that that is what we're going to see more and more of. I think we're going to have to continue offering <clears throat> multiple platforms or multiple ways to attend so that uh, consumers and you know, independent companies can make choices based on what their, what their information, uh, has told them. Um, and I can say, you know, on a personal level, I had, uh, I had a, a cruise scheduled for next week, which I have now postponed until June. And that's not because the cruise line has canceled the cruise. They haven't, um, what they have done uh, and, and the rules are changing every single day. But what they did do for the one day that I was able to change it is to offer a future cruise credit. And the reason I did it is not because the cruise line was concerned. It was because the CDC, who I've tried to listen to from the get-go, just so I have some sort of consistency in my information, uh, the CDC has recommended strongly against it. Upon digging a little deeper, I found out that the issue was not so much that because the cruise lines are requiring everyone to be vaccinated. They have to have a uh, negative test done two days prior to. um, But what they're finding the challenge is, is not in their guests, but in their staff. And what they've discovered is that when the staff becomes ill, then their staffing gets smaller and smaller, and they have trouble actually implementing the safety precautions that they already have in place. So that that was kind of the straw that that broke the camel's back, or, or tipped things to me, saying, "You know what? It's probably best if we don't go right now, and let's wait until summer and see if we can figure it out." But again, that's my choice based on the information that I have. Um, I, I, I wish there were a solid silver bullet answer. There isn't, and I don't think there's going to be for at least another year. Um, and even then, I think it might just be because we realize, you know, Omicron is <clears throat> less fatal. I think is a fair way of saying it than some of the other variants, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to kind of discover that it will become something we live with as opposed to die from, and I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we all have to make those choices. Are we willing to—do we want to avoid getting sick? Do we want to avoid the risk, the potential risk that it may, that it may happen? Um, you know, we, we've seen people since since SARS, for example, and Philip, I'm sure you've seen this even more than I have, we've seen people in Asia— who continue to wear masks even after they didn't have to. Um, I've seen tourists who come over from uh, Asian countries who will continue to wear masks here because they just, became, they just feel more comfortable doing it. I think we're going to see that's more and more the case here. Um, we have to find that balance, and we have to figure out what is best for ourselves. But we cannot rely on someone to make the decision for us either as individuals or as companies. We just have to educate ourselves so that we can find our way through the Wild West without getting into shootouts around every corner.
0: Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I I also think that extends a little bit for us as leaders. It extends also to having those conversations with our team. As again, we have talked about, I think we we talked about at the very beginning of the show, you know, it's educating yourself and understanding, and then having the discussion—a transparent discussion—with your trash and your entertainment team and your leadership team, and then being able to disseminate that out, not just to the public, but also to your team members, because you know these—we're it, it, gonna—it gets hands back in the same position of. The team members are going to be the ones interacting with the guests, and the guests are going to have, as they always do, questions, or they just blah, blah, blah. And they need to understand the reasoning and be able to follow the logic chain and be prepared f- for the choices that you make. But I, I do definitely agree. We're, <laughs> so we're back in, in the same stance where we were, where it's going to be the personal decisions and personal choice of the individuals it's looking like the states are definitely not going to impose restrictions that will hurt the economy anymore especially now that we have ways to prevent the bulk of people contracting severe illness or death so
1: and i think that's i think that's a very important factor there philip is that a lot of the focus now has shifted to um Testing and even even more focus on getting vaccine and booster into more and more people. So I, I think that the approach based on what we have learned has has been more and more um let's not let's not stick our heads in the sand, but it's become more and more let's get that vaccine out there, let's get those tests out there so that people can take. Make choices and take responsibilities for themselves. I mean, being here in Florida right now, we are experiencing a gigantic spike, and I know there's a spike across the country, uh, but Florida especially has just been through the roof. And I personally have known several people who have actually um, contracted COVID over the last week and a half to two weeks, and um, you know they have made the they've made the responsible choice by communicating the fact that they were were positive or were sick, and have self-quarantined and taking care of it, but not a single one of them has been hospitalized because all of them have been vaccinated. So I think that's important to recognize is that this is no longer Mm -hmm. the death sentence that we thought it was early on. And I think part of the reason that the shift has gone to um, let's not necessarily shut everything down is not because now we're being less responsible to the masses is because we have greater tools to fight the, the disease itself.
0: Well said, well said. All right, well, the show must go on, but the way that you are watching the show might have changed. So while we've talked a lot about pandemic trends, there's one that we haven't really talked too much about recently, and that is TV. So uh, the share of American homes that pay for conventional TV service is closing in at only 50%, according to recent assessments from the investment analyst Craig Moffat and the S&P Global Market Intelligence Kagan Research Group. And so even with those 50% people that still have cable packages, where do they spend their time? And Nielsen has come in. They have a new way of of uh, kind of measuring streaming uh, on on those uh, cable-enabled devices. And they're saying that even with people that do have cable, the streaming share is increasing rapidly. It stood at about 20% last year. In 2019, it was 14. And they're expecting it'll go be up to 33% by the end of this year. And of course because we want to make everything a 4d experience meanwhile a Japanese professor has developed a prototype lickable TV screen that can imitate food flavors and their step towards creating a multi-sensory viewing experience uh, so scott what do you think
1: well first off with the, with the lickable television this is this is so willy Wonka, it's not even funny um but but my first thought is <laughs> uh, my, my second my second thought is you know hey if if it if it works i mean huh. um but i i totally get i totally get the streaming i mean you know i'm i'm out of the the demographic that you would think of as abandoning abandoning cable and shifting only to streaming but i have and um so it is i, I get it i understand why it's there i think what we should rec- recognize um you know if i were if i were a television producer at this point in time. And and I'll get to how this impacts us in just a second. But if I were a television producer, I would only produce things that could be binge watched because I find myself, I don't watch a single episode of anything Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, I will sit there and binge because they have, you know the really good producers and directors and writers have figured out how to add that little thing where you just can't, it's like, oh, I'll watch one more. I'll watch one more. Four hours later, I'm still there. So, um, <clears throat> that's, that's the thing we need to uh, think about when actually producing the television content for those of us in the live entertainment and, and, uh, attractions industry, you know, I think that this gives us greater and greater opportunities for intellectual property, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Um, I, I think that we need to make certain that, uh, we are, we are looking at the, the, it used to be that you had, you know, going back a thousand years, it used to be that you had three channels worth of intellectual property to choose from. Now you have thousands of channels of intellectual property to choose from, uh, because mm-hmm. of streaming and it's figuring out who is your market? What are they watching? Um, what are they hot about? What are they excited about? You know, is it, is it, uh, arcane? Is it, um, and and uh, there's stuff coming you know like Netflix for example has tons of programming from other countries that is uh, you know getting repurposed redubbed reintroduced yeah. as brand new product so um, so look into those you know are those things that that you can benefit from um, I would imagine that they would be significantly more uh, affordable if you're looking into some some IP op- opportunities um, and as far as advertising I think I can't see why advertising on either cable or standard television would be your best investment. Uh, maybe locally, but certainly not if you are looking to to bring in a national or international off, uh, audience.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I, I think with the advertising in particular, you know, it, well, the, the counter argument to that, of course, is that. Um, I do agree to all of that, and that's definitely, we see that where the trend is going. But at the same time, that still means the inverse. It means that 50% of people are still watching TV so, or have access to a TV. So you could take that angle. But I, I do think, especially for how we advertise, you know, especially getting targeted and, and making sure we, we want to target the right people, I, I do think it's it's kind of edging out as a, um, as a viable. At the same time, though, I think it really we need to be thinking how our ip is extending to streaming capability because streaming as you said scott it's thousands of thousands i mean it could anybody the barrier to entry to streaming is very very low so that means that there's really no excuse for your traction to not be having a plan for how to engage people in that streaming audience and also on the advertising market, also thinking about how to how to advertise for that. Even Spotify just this past week announced that they are opening up a new, a new like pop-up click ads for their platform. So now we even have beyond streaming, even on the audio streaming, we're starting to see a better ads play in there that you can much more heavily target. So all that's important. But I think the overall thing is to understand how important streaming is and be thinking about where you're going to. Show up in in streaming and and bringing the IP and extending your experience into that, and and we talked about that in our last show, of course, uh, heavily about IP extensions. But uh, it's now we have some of the numbers to kind of prove that uh, even among TV viewers, it, it's it's increasing.
1: Well, and to your point, Philip, you know, you say that fifty percent of the people are still. Um, paying for conventional TV service. But then in the next paragraph that you talked about, uh, you, you said that Nielsen said that even the streaming, even amongst those people, the streaming share is increasing. So even though they have um, mm-hmm. conventional pay television, there's still, you know, 20% that is 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 streaming even with conventional television. So I think the trend is very clear. Um, yep. I think the idea of we're just going to advertise the way we've always advertised is um, going to be counterproductive. That's, that's the important thing to notice is keep an eye on this, recognize that streaming is not something that only uh, 12 year olds do.
0: Yeah, correct. Oh, I love that point. That's exactly right. all right. Well, speaking of uh, streaming and content, you know, a big player in content is Apple with their own content service. And on Monday, of course, Apple became the first company ever to reach to reach a three trillion dollar valuation, which is just bananas. I can just, <laughs> it's just absolutely bananas. I remember previously we were talking about one trillion, and now it's at three trillion. And I feel like I, I just I, I'm losing my mind here. But um and. No, There's a lot of stuff going around as to why and and how they kind of got there. And the New York Times tech columnist had an interesting argument, and I will quote her as saying, Apple has figured out ways to sell far more types of iPhones than it did before, including ultra-expensive ones. It has mastered underappreciated details like self-designed computer chips and nodes iPhone buyers to pay more, so it nudges, sorry, it nudges iPhone buyers to pay more for add-ons, like extra space to stow photos. And the company keeps coming up with new ways to make money from stuff that makes iPhones more useful, including subscriptions for dating apps, airpods, headphones, and computerized watches. So to me, when when I heard this reasoning, what jumped out to me was that this is kind of what Scott talks about a lot with his velvet rope concept. Scott, what do you think?
1: Well, I, I think you're right. I think there's I think there's two things, and it almost sounds like it almost sounds like they are juxtaposed to one another, but they're really not. Um, yes, I agree that it is creating a velvet rope environment, which means that there's always another way to upgrade. So once you can always, instead of having to go out and find new clients, you take the clients that you have and offer them a cooler way to experience your product a different way. Um and this this same mentality, as I've said many, many times—not on, not only on this show but on other shows as well—this is something that should always be a part of your your development. There should always be a, a VIP experience or an upgraded experience or a a, a a virtual reality experience that you can just keep adding on and adding on, so that you you can re- repurpose the live content or the experiential content of your parks or your attractions on multiple levels and each one has a perceived value that, that will generate additional revenue. The other thing that I think Apple has done and has kind of been their mindset mm-hmm. from the beginning, they got a little bit off track there for a couple of years, but, and that is something that you've talked about in, in great, uh, great detail, Philip, and that is to, um, eliminate any sort of friction in, in operation. Um, the fact that you do something on your iPhone and it shows up on your iPad and your watch and your, uh, laptop, um, it just is easy uh, upgrading your upgrading your iPhone. You know, they, they create these iPhones that are, you know, super expensive and then magically are able to give them away. If you subscribe to X number of services, you know, we saw this a lot over the holiday season. Um, uh, certainly here in Tampa, we were seeing uh, places that were giving away iPhone 13s and EarPods if you signed up for X, Y and Z. Um, so it's that perceived value. It's bouncing back and forth between the subscribing to content. I mean, a phone is, I like to think of a phone as kind of a gateway drug. Um, the phone provides you with the opportunity to buy the ongoing content that they're, they're, they're there to sell and they're making agreements and, and deals with other content providers as well as expanding their own intellectual property content. So it, it it makes total sense. It's really, I will be honest, I don't think mm-hmm. that it's really anything particularly new. Um, I mean, you go back to the landline phone companies. They didn't make yeah. money off of selling you phones. They wanted to get phones in your house so that you would use you would use more long distance, you know, going back 100 years. It's just taken to a whole new level and the fact that they have a bunch more um, opportunities yeah. and a bunch more ways of tracking your use so they can target exactly what... Your usage suggests you need. Um, it's it's just far more. It, it's a basic idea that is being taken to the nth degree thanks to technology.
0: Yeah, and I think the the way we see this basic idea manifesting the most clearly is obviously with Disney. You know, when I was reading this, especially about their including subscriptions or day naps, and I airpods and all this kind of stuff it just made me think of course of disney genie and it made me think of the uh the magic bands and, and you know all of these extra things and and it i think disney is kind of the closest model to this but but the the underlining here thing is that all of these things have to be value additive you know it can't it can't be a random thing that doesn't actually add value it needs to be value additive but and it's also something that every attraction can do. I think we, we've talked agnosium about, but I think the through line here is that this is clearly successful. We see people doing this type of theory in attractions, especially Disney and the larger guys, but that doesn't mean that it's it's inaccessible. And you know everyone has the opportunity of doing something like this, of of thinking about ways to generate additional value and, and to kind of add that, uh, reduce that friction at their attraction.
1: And it almost, it almost makes you ask the question, how much longer before we see the mouse-ca-phone that is the, uh, the, the Disney cell phone service um, that provides you with access to everything um, both Disney Plus related as well as the, the live theme park experience?
0: oh gosh or or you know like a like a Disney Nft thing or or some some sort of subscription service that gives you all of Disney you know it gives you the d23 it gives you access to your local theme park it gives you Disney plus it gives and on top you, of that, and you know, on top of that they actually sell you arriving on top of that they actually sell you the hardware uh,
1: the phone itself that makes it all happen or the device it doesn't necessarily even need to be a phone but the device itself that makes it all happen mm-hmm. yeah yep. Mark this. Mark, oh, gosh. this okay. well. mark this in our archives because when this happens, we can say, "Yep, we predicted it."
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh Lord! Okay, well, coming again to our the show must go on theme. Attractions have big plans for 2022. Unfortunately, Six Flags is stumbling at the starting line. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This past week, Six Flags dropped their affectionate behavior rule after an incident in Mexico. Uh, Six Flags announced this week that it would be removing a policy that discouraged guests from being overly affectionate while visiting the park due to a fallout after an incident involving a gay couple at the brand's Mexican theme park. Uh, Basically... What, what happened was there was a, there was a, a gay couple that were kissing and a team member uh, pulled them out of line and told them they weren't allowed to do that, but left them in the park. And of course um, that created a, a firestorm on Twitter, which then um, kind of uh, evolved in, into this, um, them removing that as a policy, um, which I, I actually wasn't even aware that there was, there was actually a policy about being overly affectionate at um, added six flags. And then, but yeah, it, it, it this seems like a kind of a microcosm to me of what we've been talking about, where uh, again, it's it's the uh, it's down to the individual staff to kind of communicate some of these policies and to be able to explain them. And of course, that can go very wrong uh, as 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 we saw here today. And it's one of those things where I, you know it, it's very que- it's very um even very questionable because what is deemed overly affectionate? Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, gosh, what a mess. What do you think, Scott? Well, I I
1: think that this is, unfortunately, I think this is less and less about the actual policy and more and more about the fact that it was a same-sex couple. Um, Because if you dig into this story a little further, they do actually say there were other um, heterosexual couples that were also displaying affection in the queue, but the only ones that were pulled out were the same-sex couple. Um, But that said, I think Mm -hmm. the reason this affection rule is in there uh, is because, again, Six Flags needs to have something in place just in case people start, you know, doing things that would be considered inappropriate no matter where you were. I mean, once you get into, you know, public nudity and that sort of thing, they need to be able to get rid of people. But to call it the, the uh, affectionate behavior policy or overly affectionate policy is a little weird, probably outdated, and they could just rely on local laws as opposed to park policy. Um, but I, I agree with you, Philip. What Correct. this really, where this really waves its red flag, is making certain that your frontline people are trained to uh, to <clears throat> facilitate any policy that the park believes is important, whether it is an affectionate, overly affectionate policy or a mask wearing policy and figuring out how to do it and apply it fairly and um, equitably across the, the broad
0: swath of guests in the park. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. And, uh, the other parks have have also made uh, announcements here, and <laughs> and they're, they're not yet stumbling, so so thank goodness. Uh, SeaWorld Parks Entertainment will open 10 new attractions in 2022, the company's largest number of new attractions introduced in a single year. Meanwhile, also in Southern California, we're going to see a slew of new stuff, including, of course, the Mario Kart Challenge uh, based on the ride in Osaka, and the Wonder Woman Flight of Courage. At Magic Mountain and the Emperor Dive Coaster at Sea World San Diego, and then Knotts has also released their full lineup of fun for 2021, and they're bringing back all of their regular uh, for you know their regular seasonal events. And uh, the only thing that stuck out to me on this was Knotts's, uh Halloween seemed very short, starting at September 22nd and running and and. It just it just occurred to me just because we just talked about how seasonal stuff was um what was the season was expanding and then we see them starting actually very late in the season and I, I don't know what's going on about that but uh what did what did you notice in all of these uh, slew of announcements Scott
1: well there's a couple things let's start with the let's start with knots and Halloween um you know it I think them choosing to go shorter versus longer proves what we said at the beginning of the show we are in the wild wild West there is no 100 percent this is the right way to do things anymore and companies and large corporations have to make decisions based on what their information and their knowledge is. So, you know, if, if shorter is going to be better for them and more controllable for them, I, my guess is it probably has something to do with staffing. Um, just having worked at these kinds of events Mm -hmm. for many, many years, I would guess that staffing is a big concern for them this year and maintaining staffing is going to be simpler in a shorter event versus a longer event. I don't know that for a fact, but that is, that is my, that's kind of what my gut tells me as far as all of these attractions that are now opening, um, to me, it looks like these are the things that have been flying, that have been circling the airport in the holding pattern and 2022 is when they're going to come to land. Uh, I think it's great because, again, they've already invested the money in these. And over the past two years, they have either not been able to open them because they weren't open as a park or they didn't need to open them because just being open was enough to drive a bunch of attendance, and in some cases overwhelmingly large numbers of attendants. So I-, I think what we're seeing here is not a bunch of new investment. Per se, but a bunch of here's the stuff we've been holding on to, and instead of just throwing it away because it's you know it it's not like a roller coaster has a shelf life. You, you it's not going to go bad before it opens. Um, so now, like for example, with the one that hits me closest to home, both literally and figuratively, is uh, it is Iron Guazi at Bush Gardens Tampa. You know, it's been ready to go for quite some time, and now it's finally the right time to to bring it online. And I think that's true with a lot of these places. So um, it, it, it makes total sense. Uh, and again, I think it makes total sense because they're having the attendance. Now they got to get things for people to do so they can capture that attendance and transform it into um, loyal customers again.
0: Yep. Well, I that, think that's all there is to say for okay. about that. <laughs> well, that's good
1: because we're out of time. So, so uh, on behalf of Philip and myself, Scott Swenson, thank you so much for listening. Um, we are so excited that uh, you know you're still listening into the new year. Please continue to spread the ideas uh, that we we share in this show. Um, and if you think there are other people who might benefit from listening to it, let them know about us. You can find out more about the show um, at Green Show. Dot com and hopefully we'll continue to, to grow our listeners and it, even if we don't I'm pretty sure that we will see you all next week this is a haunted attraction network production <laughs>